Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So I salute each and every one with the honorable and the blessing words of grace, mercy, and peace. May they be multiplied unto you. We welcome you to T.L. Elliott Ministries Bible Study. And tonight we continue on a journey through one of the books of the Old Testament. And the book that I'm referring to is uh, the book of Zechariah. The book of Zechariah, or some would enunciate it, Zechariah, to uh, put emphasis on the end of the name, uh, which it articulates uh, the Lord God's name as Yah or Yahweh. And in that, as I mentioned, the name of the prophet, the prophet's name uh, means remembered by God or remembered by Yahweh or remembered by Yahuwah. Um, and in that, the prophet's name not only speak of remembrance, but I remind each and every one what is the significant thing of remembrance for the Lord God is not just about remembering the individual that he's using, but the individual's name that speaks to uh, being remembered by God is implying the covenant that the Lord God has made with his people. If we remember the patriarchs of the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Jacob, uh, we understand that as those who are Bible readers would read the record of their life and their encounter with the Lord God, the Lord God made a covenant with them. And so in that, the Lord God, as a harmony line of the Old Testament, is uh, keeping up his end of the covenant of uh, what he has promised to a people. Amen. So in that, it's as if the prophet is a reminder of that covenant being the mouthpiece. Uh, the prophet becomes the, 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 the one at the table to uh, reflect the image of the Lord God, remembering what he's promised to not forget his people. And so in that, we can understand this about the prophet Zechariah uh, and the understanding that it brings weight to the individual, not just being an individual, but one living or fulfilling the destiny of the name or the identity that he is being addressed by. Because remember, as I remind people very often, when it comes to names in the scripture, the names were associated with their character or their reputation. So that says this prophet has a reputation of being a covenant reminder. This prophet has a reputation or the character of being an example of covenant with the Lord God in spite of, as we say, the cliche, rain, sleet, or snow. No matter what challenges may come, he represents the continuation of the covenant. Amen. So in that, on tonight, we begin a new journey within the same book. Amen. Tonight, we begin looking at chapter three. Chapter one, we began to look very closely 
and it deals with the call to repentance for a people. Amen. When we got to uh, chapter two, we looked at the prophet seeing the vision of the man with the measuring line. Amen. But now chapter three on tonight, we began to see a transition of another vision that we believe that the prophet is is going to articulate to us. And this vision, if I may give it a title for the first portion of the chapter, it would be the cleansing of Joshua, the high priest. Some of you may even have Bibles that have that subtitle at the top of the chapter. But we're going to begin to look at the cleansing of Joshua, the high priest with verses one through verse seven, verse eight through ten deals with God's branch which once we get to that portion, I'll begin to articulate that a little bit more clearer to those who are listening. But tonight, right now, we're going to deal with the cleansing of Joshua. And if I may, before even getting into the text, let me remind each and every one. I believe that in this season, the Lord God still has us in a place of understanding the spiritual perspective of the scripture more so than the natural. Many of us can easily get a natural interpretation and try to put a natural template on the scripture. But remember, the Lord God is a spirit. And even for us as individuals, we're spirits with bodies, not bodies with spirits. So in that, I, I emphasize that to say this, Please pay close attention because hopefully by the grace of the Holy Spirit uh, that the Lord has given me, I want to continue to manifest or illuminate the spiritual perspective of the scripture to give more of a deeper understanding. Because as long as we can now tie ourselves to spiritually understand what has physically been written, it will be more apt to preparing us for eternal living in spiritual places. Amen. Oftentimes when we just have the natural understanding of a thing, we'll miss the whole revelation of the spiritual and we won't see what's really happening as it is applicable to the spiritual beings that we are within uh, these earthen vessels that we call a body. Amen. So with that being said, for those that are with me, please turn to Zechariah chapter three. We're in the Old Testament and we're still speaking about this significant prophet. The book isn't very long, but yet the book is still powerful because it is still speaking as as some people would say towards end time prophecy. It's still speaking towards judgment of man in order to uh, be repentant and restored so that one can be in an eternal state with him. So in that, for those that have the word of the Lord with them, uh, we're looking at Zechariah chapter three, and let me address verse one. And the scripture says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. All right. Now, listen, listen uh, to to uh, what we're really saying here or what's really being implied by the prophet. First of all, the prophet really brings to our attention that he's seen something else from chapter two in 
correlation to seeing the measuring of the temple and the Lord God becoming the fortification, the protection of his temple and his building of not just an edifice, but his building of a people. Now the prophet transitions into another realm or another vision because he says, and he showed me now in this, there's something very interesting here because the scripture says he showed me Joshua. All right. And now keep this in mind as well. I don't want to lose anyone, but keep this in mind. Zechariah is still in conversation with the angel or the messenger of the Lord that he's been in conversation with in chapter two. Amen. So he's having a dialogue with this messenger in what he's being shown. He's being taken uh, to another spiritual realm or dimension of being able to see uh, what's not seen in the norm, what's not seen in the natural. And in this, he says he was shown or he was was revealed uh, uh, Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now, let me make something clear here because this may be challenging to some people's theology. Many of us, when we've looked at Joshua in the Old Testament, we've either associated Joshua with the servant of Moses, uh, who, uh, became the new leader of the children of Israel after Moses's transition, or we look at Joshua being alluded to as being symbolic of Christ. Because once again, the name Joshua in the Hebrew is Yeshua, which Yeshua means Yehovah is salvation or Yehovah is savior. All right. Now we understand that in the New Testament, when we look at Jesus, his name also being out of Hebrew, Yahshua, mean, meaning Yehovah is savior. But if I might stretch your theology a little bit here in Zechariah, we would come to the conclusion that this Joshua that's being spoken of is not Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I know some are saying, huh, this is not Jesus, because when we begin to look at the structure of the verse, we will come to find that it would be out of place for this particular individual to be symbolic of Christ. Amen. Or being the son of God who sits by the father, as we know. Why do I say that? Well, here, here, look very closely at the verse again. And it says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing uh, before the angel of the Lord. And Satan was also standing at his right hand. Now, in most instances in the Old Testament, when we've looked at the angel of the Lord, we also come to the theological conclusion that the angel of the Lord is Christ Jesus because it's the Lord's angel, the Lord's direct messenger. Okay, because here's the thing, even for those who may have biblical commentaries that you go and exhaust regarding this passage, 
you will come to find that even in the majority of the commentaries, the Joshua that's being referred to here is the people of God that it is talking about. And what's what's interesting is the fact that this Joshua is on trial because when we really look at the the uh, structure of what's going on in these first few verses of chapter three, we actually have not only the individuals that are mentioned that are before the throne of God, but it's as if the uh, individual is on trial. Individual is on trial. And what's interesting is something else is very profound. The individual is dressed in unrighteousness. Now, Jesus in the heavenlies is not in any shape, form or fashion unrighteous. It's when he came in the earth and became a physical being in this reality and bore the sins of the world that anything of unrighteous uh, look upon him was in this natural realm when he was at the cross, but not in the heavenlies. Wait a minute. He he's the son of God. He's there with the ball. So something does not fit for him to be this specific Joshua that we're looking at. So in that, I am one that would be in agreement that this Joshua that's being referred to is symbolic of the people of God. Now, as I say that, the scripture says, and he showed me Joshua or the people of God who were the high priests. Some may say, well, wait a minute. It says high priest. Well, remember, even in the New Testament, in Revelation chapter one, verse six, it says you are a royal priesthood. All right. In uh, Hebrews chapter seven, we begin to see about Jesus came after the order of Malachi Zadok. Some people pronounce it Melchizedek, but it's really Malachi Zadok. It's two words, Malachi and Zadok. Malachi, which is a derivative of uh, the word Malki, which means royal or kingly. Zadok means most high priest. So as a royal or kingly priesthood, it says Malachi Zadok. Okay, so now as as I bring that to your attention, now began to look in the spiritual as we're looking at this verse and it says, and he showed me the people who were uh, uh, supposed to be in the righteousness or in the salvation of the Lord God, who were in their priestly state standing before the angel of the Lord. All right. So now if we begin to put Christ in the picture as the angel of the Lord that they're standing before, he is the one who is the advocate. He is the one who is presenting us. He is the one that is presenting this Joshua or these people before the Lord. This representation of the people, the angel of the Lord, which is Christ Jesus, is the one who is representing them as their defending attorney. Notice that it says they're standing uh, before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand. Now, it's interesting that the verse would mention that Satan 
or Satan as enunciated in Hebrew, which means the adversary or the opponent, which uh, is more so if some people really get a revelation, a job description more so than directly the entity. Okay. Because it speaks towards having the character of being an opposer or having the characteristic of being an opponent or being an accuser, one that goes against who is being defended. As I say that, the scripture says that he was standing on the right side. And believe it or not, the uh, prosecuting attorney, for those who know anything about court, stands on the right side to accuse who's being defended on the left. Very interesting. But yet we, we can see now this is almost like a court scene before the presence of the Lord. So now let me also bring something else to your attention. The scripture says this Joshua is standing uh, before the angel of the Lord. And I want to bring a, a few profound nuggets out even in that specific statement in the verse. Because uh, uh, to uh, stand in this place is more in the sense of not just standing, but worshiping and praising. Because remember even though this court scene is being articulated by this verse of what Zechariah is seeing, but yet it's still in the presence of the Lord God. And anywhere in scripture that we have found uh, the prophets or the apostles articulating the presence of the Lord God in the heavenlies, all that are around the throne are, are standing in a worshiping posture. They're standing in a uh, prostration or respectful position before the Lord God in reverence to him, in honor to him. So, so in this, we can draw the conclusion that this Joshua that represents the people of the Lord God are in his presence, but yet they're in a worshiping posture. In this worshiping posture, uh, it says they are before, or this Joshua is before the angel of the Lord. Now, I want to put emphasis on this word before as well, because we're thinking in our Western world culture that this just means in front of. But what's very interesting is the Hebrew word for before is terim, T-E-R-E-M. And it means to be suspended or to be interrupted. So it's as if the Joshua that's standing before the angel of the Lord is in suspended animation there in their posture. They're in suspended animation. They're, they're interrupted. They're, 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 they're not in the norm motion of what they would be in the natural. But let somebody chew on that for a moment because it's something very profound that we miss. So, so in this, it says that Zechariah sees Joshua, who is the representative of the people of the Lord, standing or in the posture uh, of suspended animation of a worship before 
the angel of the Lord, who we can draw the conclusion as Christ, with Satan or Satan also present, the accuser, the opposer, the one who makes accusations against the Joshua that's before the Lord. And it says he's there to resist him, meaning to oppose, to accuse, or to attack. Now, let us see what does verse 2 tell us. Verse 2 says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, watch this. Here we go. It says that basically the angel of the Lord is the Lord because as we look at this verses, verse, there's two Lords. The scripture says, the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee, even the Lord that chose Jerusalem. So now we draw a conclusion that there's two representations or, or entities of the Lord that are being referenced here in verse two. We could draw the conclusion though, based on how Zechariah sets up the text in verse one, that the Lord that is talking is the Lord who's representing Joshua, i.e. the defending attorney, i.e. the angel of the Lord, which is the one who rebukes Satan, the one who rebukes the prosecuting attorney, the one who rebukes because now if you think about it, even in court, it's the attorneys that give opening statements to the judge. So in that, the defender of the people of the Lord God says, I rebuke you, meaning I reprove you and in reproving you and testing against you, I silence you on what your claim is. Now, he says, even the Lord that chose Jerusalem rebukes you. Meaning, he's saying, even the Lord of Lords, i.e., my Father, the Creator of all, the one source, rebukes you. And this is the same one who chose Jerusalem. Now, remember, for those who may not know or those who do, the choosing by the Lord God is not him just picking you for exemption for anything or selection to be part of something. The Lord God's choosing is for one to be selected for testing or proving, i.e. to go through experiences or expanding for growth. So in that, the scripture says the Lord rebuke you, which is the one who even chose Jerusalem or picked them to be stretched, picked them to go through testing, picked them to be matured, picked them to be perfected, picked them to be expanded. This is what Zechariah is articulating here. 
the Lord as the attorney is rebuking the adversary. And in the same turn, he says, the judge of all rebukes you because he chose who he wanted to choose to be before him based upon the testing or the reproving that he's done in and over and through their life. And now what, what else is very interesting, even in this same verse, he says, there's a notice that there is a colon and he says, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now, this is going to kind of go back and bag up what I was saying that this Joshua is not Jesus, but it is the people of the Lord God, because what he is saying when he says a brand it is from the Hebrew word, ud, which means a fire poker. Anybody that knows anything about fireplaces, fire pits, you have an iron poker that you put in the fire to kind of uh, uh, push the embers around uh, to, to get the ashes uh, to settle down through the grate. But yet, while the iron poker is in there for poking and prodding, the iron poker also gets hot from the heat of the fire. So, so in this, what the uh, attorney, the defending attorney, the angel of the Lord uh, is saying here, he says, is this not what was put in the fire to be tested, to be proven, uh, to be poked at, to be pushed around, to be moved? Is this not what has been pulled out of the fire? This is what he's alluding to. These are the ones who were put in the fire uh, uh, for their perfecting. They were put in the fire for their purging. They were put in the fire to go through what we would call uh, uh, alchemy or metallurgy, meaning the, the perfecting process of having impurities pulled out of them while they're in the fire. And so in this, he says, I've selected them and pulled them out. It was almost as if he was saying, were these not the ones that I had set up like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were put in the fiery furnace, but yet I've delivered them, yet I pulled them out in order order for them to stand before me, even in the presence of a worship of the Lord God of, of heavenly hosts. So in that, now we, we move on to verse three. Uh, and it says, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Once again, this Joshua was dressed in filthy garments or soiled garments, uh, uh, which when we look at that word garments, it comes from the Hebrew word beged, B-E-G-G-E-D. And what's interesting, beged means deceit and treachery. All right. So in that, once again, this begins to also disprove this being Jesus as the Joshua that's being talked about, but yet still proving to be the people of the Lord that this Joshua is representing because he's saying they are in a garment or they are wearing deceit and treachery. 
Think about it. As human beings born in a sinful world with a sinful nature, we're already dressed in treachery and deceit. This is something that has to uh, uh, be taken off of us. We have to be undressed out of unrighteous character or garments that we represent ourselves to be in order to be in the righteousness of the Lord God. And he's the only one that can redress us. Uh, I hope I'm, I'm ministering to somebody to get a real revelation of what's going on here. Because even as Zechariah is articulating these verses, he's giving you a spiritual revelation of what goes on in an eternal place, in a spiritual place versus a natural. So in this, it says Joshua was clothed or dressed with filthy uh, uh, or sinful uh, characteristics of treachery and deceit and stood before the angel. All right. So now what, what happens next? Verse four, it says, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him saying, take away the filthy garment from him and unto him uh, he said, behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. All right, so now a new command is given regarding Joshua or regarding the people of the Lord that are standing before the Lord in his presence in this, as I say, court scene. It says uh, there was an answer that said, uh, to those that stood before him, take away or take off the soiled garment or the sinful character of treachery and deceit from this Joshua. Now, the scripture does not articulate who in particular, but yet what's very profound is that it speaks in a plural sense as to the command that the Lord gave. Look very closely. It says, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him. All right. So then that begins to give us a revelation that could it be that as the accusation comes, the accuser is even tied to the redressing of the people of the Lord just as well as the Lord or the Son of God is. Because they're the ones that are standing before the Lord. So he tells them, he says, take off his filthy garments, take off his sin, take off his unrighteous character. And unto him he said, behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee. So in the removing of the unrighteous character, in the removing of sin from the Joshua or the people of the Lord that are standing before him, he says, as this is being removed from you, I'm also eliminating your iniquity. Because for those who may not know, listen to me very closely. We often package our actions as being sin. 
If I do something to somebody, I always package it as sin. But technically, that's incorrect. There is two elements that you have to understand. There's sin and there's iniquity. Sin is the unrighteous thinking or the flawed thinking that we have that does not match up with the character of the Lord God. And iniquity is mostly the physical manifestation of us carrying out our sinful thoughts. So if he removes sin from us, what we're dressed in as our character or the way we present ourselves, then as the sin is being removed or we're being undressed from that, then now there is no thought of carrying out that sin to do what's called iniquity. So now, be it that the Lord has acknowledged the removal of what his people are dressed in in his presence, he says, behold, I have caused thine iniquity, which the Hebrew word for iniquity is just like the makeup Avon, which means wicked activity. So he says, I've caused your wicked activity to go away. If you don't think about it, you won't do it. So he says, I remove that from you. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Meaning, he says, I'm going to redress you with a new character. I'm going to redress you with a new reputation. I'm going to redress you with a, a new lifestyle or a new mantle. I, I'm going to redress you. And as I even use the term mantle, mantle eludes to being one who is responsible and accountable. So he says, as just as much as I'm going to remove sin from you out of my presence and the activity that you do to manifest what that sinful thinking is, I'm going to redress you with not only a new lifestyle or a new character, but I'm also going to address you with a new mindset to be accountable for the actions you do, meaning you now take responsibility because you're under accountability. This is what now begins to transition here in this spiritual uh, uh, articulation that Zechariah is giving us as to what he's seen transpire. Now, you think about this, it really says how things, I believe, will look for us in that transitional place. Amen? Because even as we wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like when I'm changed. I wonder what's going to happen or how that change is going to happen. Could it be this is an articulation of what the change is going to be for each and every one of us to look at or get an understanding of so that we 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 have an idea as to not only what the Lord brings us to accountability for but how the Lord does the transition our accountability is the fact that he's transitioning sin and iniquity out of us it's very profound that the prophet would bring this 
out in this vision that he's having here in chapter three, but yet we can see right now it fits us. It, it, it fits what we can begin to articulate and understand if this was a prophetic word thousands of years ago or word of preparation, then it still speaks as a word of preparation for us in the now. So, so watch this, watch this. The scripture says he's going to change their raiment. He's going to change their uh, uh, robe or change their state of mind. He's going to change their mantle. He's going to change the character or reputation that they have because now they've got a mind of accountability and a mind of responsibility. So in this now, let us look at verse five of the chapter. What does he say here? In verse five, it says, and I said, let them set a fair miter upon his head. So they set a fair miter upon his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord stood by. Now, what is it saying here? The Lord says to redress Joshua. And, 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 and listen, uh, watch. The Lord is not just doing judgment. The Lord's judgment is apparently inclusive of redressing. So in this, he says, let them set a fair miter. Now, I want to look at, look at these terms, fair and miter. Amen. The term fair that's used here is tehor, T-A-H-O-R. And in the Hebrew, the word tehor means morally or ethically pure or clean. All right. So hold that in your thought. We're talking about morals and ethics being pure based on the term fair that's being used in this verse. The next word is miter. All right. Now. For those who understand the Episcopacy or the Apostolic Church, we, we understand that there is a headdress. Uh, Old Testament wise, it would be called a turban or type of headdress. But we even, even to this day have miters that are part of the Episcopal uh, vestments that are worn. And this one is placed on the head. Amen. But now when it came to the miter, if I can give you a little bit of Episcopal history or understanding uh, today, as we see uh, miters, they're uh, shaped to a point. But that is to be symbolic of the tongues of fire for those who are familiar with Acts chapter 2 with the movement of the church. They were uh, like baker's hats in the Old Testament, but they evolved when we when we got to the New Testament and came forward because of the movement of Pentecost. Uh, once again, the shape of the mitre shifted from what you would call a baker's hat to more so being in the shape of a point to be symbolic of the flame of fire of the Holy Spirit descending on the head of the individual who's under the anointing, who's under or submitted to the fire of the Holy Spirit in their life. But now in conjunction to that, 
there's something else that's significant about the mitre, which I believe it uh, uh, spiritually speaks to it in this particular passage. And what I want to bring to your attention is mitres were usually given to individuals that didn't have one as a form of coronation. It was given to them as a form of an enthronement of authority. And it was given to them not only for their coronation or enthronement, but it was also used there forward to be a, a representative of who they represent in all sacred ceremonies. So then that says this, what's happening here is Joshua is being inaugurated or coronated by wearing the right attire to go with the authority that's being given to him with being in the presence of the Lord. Somebody's got to get this. That, 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 that says to us, if Joshua is representing a people, regardless of their sin, regardless of their past, the Lord God says, when you get into my presence, I'm going to change your attire and be in your present to, to develop you for your future. In Revelation 19.10, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I articulate that to people over and over again. Jesus doesn't deal with your past. He steps into your present to speak into your future. So, so in this, there's a coronation that's going on with who's standing before the Lord, regardless of what their past look like. The Lord has given the command for the transition of your past being removed because now you're in a position of authority and responsibility and being coronated to be dressed as such. So in this, he says, they set a ethically and morally pure headdress Upon his head, meaning uh, uh, the symbol of a pure spirit, a pure mind, a holy mind that is now governed according to godly morals and ethics to drive their character or, or uh, their reputation or moral essence. This is set upon the head because the head is the lead. So in this it says, so they set a fair mitre upon his head. And notice that's plural. They set, regardless of the adversary's accusation, in the reality of the matter, while in this natural, the Lord God's people are being used through the adversary to develop you for the perfecting of the son. So, so in this, they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments. And if I can once again episcopally say, they clothed him with vestments. Everything that the individual is wearing is symbolic of the character of the Lord God, especially in the presence of the Lord God. So that means that the spirit of Joshua, the representation of him being in the presence of the Lord God, he got redressed. He got put on holy clothes now. He He's, he's got a whole new appearance and the whole new appearance gave him a reboot of a new mindset. Now, in this, it says, 
and the angel of the Lord stood by. Meaning the angel of the Lord, i.e. the Lord himself, Christ Jesus, was right there on the scene when all of this was transpiring. So if he stood by, watch this, he was in the act of being the witness to verify what the Lord God had done to Joshua or his people, the ones he's prevailed with, he was the witness on hand now. Not only serving as the attorney of defense, but yet now serving as a witness to validate what has now occurred, that those who have now been redressed can no longer have charges against them based on their past. They can no longer have charges against them because once they got redressed, they were acquitted. I don't know if somebody's hearing me right there, but this is very profound as to what Zechariah is articulating. So now, then, if, if we look at, at verse 6, it says, And the angel of the Lord protested unto Joshua, saying, Meaning, the angel of the Lord testified unto Joshua. The angel of the Lord gave testimony to the people of the Lord God that were standing before the Lord God and had been redressed. Listen to what he says here in verse seven. It says, thus said the Lord of hosts, if thou wilt walk in my ways and if thou wilt keep my charge, then thou shalt also judge my house and shall also keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. That's a loaded verse right there. That's a very loaded verse. Listen though, if I can just take a little time to break this verse down. It says, thus said the Lord of hosts. Thus said the Lord of hosts or the Lord of warfare, the Lord of armies, the Lord of the heavenlies. He's acquitted Joshua for the charges of sin and iniquity. He says, I've wiped your slate clean and I am about to release you with authority. However, here is the requirement that goes along with what I've just done for you. He says, if thou will walk in my ways, meaning to proceed forward this day forward, being led by the spirit in my ways. The word ways is the Hebrew word Derek, which means uh, the road of or journey of moral or ethical character. If you will proceed forward while being led by my Holy Spirit on the road of moral or ethical character, that is divine in nature. He says, and if thou wilt keep my charge, meaning not deviate, not uh, quit, not stop from my charge, which is my obligation, my minimum service, my minimum duty, the minimum post that you can perform in this life that I've given you. He says, then thou shalt also judge my house 
and shall keep my courts and I will give thee places to walk among these that stand by. Listen, what he says, if you'll do these, th these few things, walk in my way, keep my charge. He says, then first of all, one of the main things that I'm going to give you out of the authority that I've given you, because remember, I placed a miter on your head and I've redressed you in divine vestments. He says, then thou shalt judge my house. Now, here's something that's very profound about judging his house. Let me carry you somewhere very quickly. In 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, First Corinthians chapter 6, and we're looking at verses 1 through 3. The scripture says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? So how dare any of you have a gripe or complaint against somebody and you would go before the unjust with your complaint before you would go before the just, the saints? He says, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So it says the saints, this is New Testament. So this is showing you there's a continuity between what Zechariah is saying in the Old Testament with what the writers of the New Testament are saying. So this, this thing didn't change. There's a judgment that comes on. Watch this, verse 3. Know ye not that ye, uh, excuse me, that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? So there is a judgment. The Lord God's household is his angels or his celestial uh, beings that are in heavenly places. This is his household. This is what he says. Thou shall also judge or execute rule and ministry over my house, my place of dwelling, my, my habitation. The Lord is dwelling in the heavenlies, in spiritual realms. So he says, if you get dressed and you continue in my ways, this will validate you being judge judges over spiritual things of both the seen and the unseen realm. In this, he says, you'll judge my house and shall also keep my courts. Anything that the Lord God has placed his arms around to be his territory of protection, you will now be the authority over those realms or those regions or those territories. And he says, and I will give you a place or a location to walk among the midst of these that stand by. All right. So he says, I will give you the authority to walk in places or in realms in the midst of where the sun and even the adversary are. You will have territorial dominion if you will just keep my ways, amen, and keep my charge and walk in those things that I've given unto you. 
This is something that's very profound that the prophet articulates if we would just get the revelation of what he's saying here with this passage regarding the Joshua that is uh, not just on trial, but has received a judgment of an acquittal to be redressed in the glory of the character of the Lord God and has only been asked to maintain that character, maintain that garment, maintain that authority. So this is what 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 the prophet what the prophet brings out and 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 in that uh, if I may let me let me go ahead and and capture a couple of the verses because we're almost here at the end of the chapter in in verse eight it says hear now O Joshua listen hear now O Joshua the high priest thou and thy fellows that sit before thee for they are men. Uh, uh, wondered at for behold I will bring forth my servant the branch this is a very powerful verse as well he says here meaning I want you to listen with the intent to take action Joshua I want my my representative here my Joshua or my people to listen with the intent to take action uh, in your priestly nature now because once again as we talk about being being priest of the Lord God especially in Revelations 1 6 as I said here earlier or after the order of Malachi Zadok it says uh, thy fellows that sit before thee or those who are your associates that dwell around thee they are men wondered, meaning miracles. They're, they're looking at the miracle of the anointing of what you now are in their presence. And he says, for behold, what, 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 what makes you the miracle? He says, I need you to turn on spiritual sight now. Because the word behold, remember, is not just look at something. It means for you to discern from a spiritual perspective. So it says, behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Now, in this, what, what we find here in Zechariah, Zechariah is still in a prophetic place to prepare the people for what is to come. So he's preparing them for... Uh, the angel of the Lord being the branch manifested in reality. We can understand he's talking about Jesus at the branch, but here's something that's very profound that, that I found as I examined this verse. Listen very closely. He says, I will bring forth. The word bring forth is the Hebrew word bow, which means to enter in or to come in or come inside of. So he says, I will enter in or come inside of my servant, the branch. Now, we know that branch is capitalized here to articulate the coming son from the spiritual realm to the natural realm into this reality. But what's interesting is the thing, the term branch. Branch is the Hebrew word samach, T-S-E-M-A-C-H, which means sprout, or watch this, the process of growth, or that which grows up, that which matures, that which perfects, not only itself, but has the function of maturing or perfecting what it comes in contact or connects with. So he says that uh, 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 
he will manifest within the vessel that shall be the branch that comes in contact to mature and perfect others while he's yet maturing and perfecting in the form that he takes in this reality. You can find more references regarding the branch in Isaiah chapter 4 verse 2 chapter 11 verse 1 through 5 and chapter 53 verse 2 you will find that these verses coincide with this text so so in that though let me read on because time is getting away from us but there's two more verses so verse 9 says for behold the stone that i have laid before joshua Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Now, what's, what's still transpiring here? As the prophet brings out the branch in conjunction with the redressing of the Joshua. Here's what he says. Verse 9, once again, brings to your attention about putting on spiritual sight or understanding. It says, for behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua. Now, in this, it says the stone that's laid before Joshua. Joshua is standing before the presence of the Lord. But then watch this. Christ, who is the angel of the Lord, who's standing there. Amen who will eventually become the branch when he is birthed forth in this reality. But watch this. He's also the stone. He's being articulated in another identity. It says, behold, the stone, i.e. the Hebrew word Eben, which means the building stone or the building block. If that's not so, if you remember New Testament wise, when Jesus was in the earth and he told Peter, he says, upon this rock, I shall build my church. All right. So, so in this, he says upon himself, he's the stone, he's the cornerstone, he's the building stone. He's what the, the apostles alluded to in the New Testament as a stone, even though Peter is called the rock. When we look at the word rock in association with Peter, it, it means a pebble that's a small piece of the bigger. Jesus is the bigger of it all. So he says, behold, the stone that I have laid or have set up or placed before Joshua upon one stone shall be seven eyes or upon one stone. This stone shall be uh, uh, the, the site or the spiritual qualities of perfecting, all right? Because even in the Old Testament, we find that uh, there are seven spirits. Notice that this says there's seven eyes, seven spirits. And remember, the number seven uh, prophetically uh, uh, means perfecting, means maturing. So there's in the book of Psalms, it talks about seven spirits. These are the seven spirits that are the seven eyes that are associated with the stone or associated with Christ. All right. And it says this mental or spiritual quality or faculty uh, shall be associated with the stone. It's building, but yet it's perfecting based on the character of the spirit. And in this, it says, behold, once again, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. So he says, 
I want you to spiritually see in correlation to this stone, I will engrave, meaning I will carve into the graving or the sculpture. He says, I'm going to engrave, meaning I'm going to cut an etch into the stone that is of the spirit that's meant to build you. It is the foundation of you. If you're keeping my ways because I've dressed you again, then let the stone build you. And in this, he says, uh, I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. It won't take me a, a, a long time to do the work that I need to do with you. And in that verse 10, it says, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine. You will bring, uh, he says, in that day, when you are being built, when you're being restored, when you are in the place that you've been dressed and you're keeping my ways and now you're letting the branch continue to build you and work you in this reality, he says in that day, you will have a mouth to call to your neighbors. You will have a mouth to give an invitation to everybody that you know uh, or your companions or associates that are connected with you to come under the vine and in coming under the vine understand this the vine in in hebrew is geffen which means the line of prosperity you will begin to say as i prosper in the character of the lord and in my authority based on being on the rock who has the characteristics of the spirit that are now leading me and building me i call or invite each and every one of you that's connected to me to come into this place of prosperity come in under the fig tree or come in under this characteristic because see as he says the fig tree we think in the natural a tree that's producing fruit but remember even based on Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 when it says the fruit of the spirit when you assess what the fruit is the fruit is character he says you will begin to invite and somebody ought to just shout right there because we're even in a season right now about ministering about the character of the Lord God and being perfected. So he says, notice that when you're in that season, when you're in that season that you're inviting people to come to, to plug in, to get rooted or come into the prosperity of godly character. That is a season that is speaking to the authority that you're in because you've been redressed in the presence of the Lord as a newly assigned Joshua. So with that, with that, I conclude tonight's teaching right there. I pray that this has been some good revelation for those who are listening and that it carries you to a whole nother place of spiritual understanding based on the context of the scripture that we have just dissected for the edification of the church. And with that being said, amen, amen, amen. And so it is on this evening. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.